All right, friends, well, I'm glad you're here. We're going to jump into it tonight so we can have a reasonable amount of time in our small groups. So we're going to continue our series on, again, being countercultural and how we are meant to be a ministry or a people set apart for God. And, of course, Jesus started off um, separating himself from the religious establishment. And, of course, the Jewish nation was already really separated from the Romans or the lost. Um, so they already thought they were set apart, and yet he further separates them apart from, the, like I said, the religious establishment. Again, it's in Matthew chapter 5. If you want to follow along with me, the Beatitudes. It said, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. The disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, the reason why, too, if you're unfamiliar with uh, taking notes or anything, we bring those for you is uh, we want you to maximize your time with us. And I realize as a student, sometimes your brain's kind of like, I'm done with school for the day and I'm done learning. Um, but we really believe, obviously, when we gather together that this uh, sacred portion of our time together is meant uh, to sharpen our spiritual and life, and it impacts every other area of our life, and it makes a difference for eternity. So just encourage you, if something jumps out to you, to write it down. It'll help you share more in small group time. And anything you write down, you're going to remember a lot better as well. So first question for us, what does it mean to be pure in heart? What comes to mind when you hear pure in heart? What do you think? Perfect, okay. Christian? Righteousness. Righteousness, good. What else? What do you think of when you think of pure in heart? Yep. Mother Teresa. That's a good one. Yep. Deanna? Nice and kind. Yes. Well, there's first. Oh. Holy. Yep. Okay. Merciful. Honorable. These are good things, you guys. I always think of uh, somebody that doesn't have alternative mo motives. You know, that they have a pure motive. Often, sometimes you, you wonder when someone does something for you, is like, you got an angle? Right? We're sometimes guarded. Here's a bunch of things I just wrote down. Innocent, pure motives, morally and ethically pure. They have single-mindedness for what they're working towards. Sold out for God, free of deceit. Devoted to Christ, lacking hypocrisy, right, or a double standard. So we've talked about devotion in the past, but I just want to remind us of it, so I wrote it down in case you want to add to your notes. Devotion is the purposeful and enthusiastic commitment of one's time, one's talents, and one's treasures toward a person or a cause. Right, and Jesus, again, he's giving the, the Israelite people basically a chance to show true devotion to God, and, and he's trying to warm them up to this idea that it looks different than the 600-plus Levitical laws that Israel has gotten themselves caught up into. But it's an enthusiastic commitment of one's time, one's talents, and one's treasures toward a person or a cause. In other words, it, it's more of their heart than anything else. 
So if you want to be enthusiastically devoted to Jesus and pursuing him wholeheartedly, then you're constantly in a position where you're surrendering anything and everything that comes to mind that is holding you back from doing that, from pursuing him. You know, an example of not being pure of heart comes in Acts chapter 5. Anybody remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? What happens to Ananias and Sapphira? Dead. What happened to him, Isaac? Right? Yep. Good. Good. So, right? So, Anna, so the problem isn't, so Ananias and Sapphira, what they have is they have an investment piece of property. They don't live in it, a different house, and they sell it, or they sell a chunk of a property at least. And they tell the, the, the leaders that this is everything, right? They're trying to make themselves look at which. You know, it's kind of weird because giving the portion of land they did makes them look good anyways. They don't need to over-exaggerate it, right? When you give something, like, that's, that's being generous. But the problem is not that they are being generous. It's that they lie of the level of their generosity. You ever do that? You do something good and you exaggerate what you did? Or exaggerate a story? Right? This is essentially what Ananias and Sapphira do. And because they lie, the Holy Spirit wants to make an example out of it, and they literally fall over dead. And they're greed in a way. They're generous generous, uh, financially, but greedy to get attention for what they did. Right? And so they have this huge cost. They do not have a pure heart. They're being deceptive. Right? You can't have a pure heart if you're being deceptive or you're trying to manipulate people, or you're exaggerating something. right? So they pay this high cost. Well, we're going to read a story of a lady who has a pure heart. Um, it's a lady by the name of Ruth. You probably might be familiar with her story, but I want to give you a little background to her story because we're going to shorten the story tonight due to time. So background of the story is uh, she's a Moabite woman. So in other words, uh, a neighboring country to... Um, to Israel, if you're really familiar with modern-day Israel, it's basically in the Jordan, the country Jordan today, right next door. And her husband dies, and her brother-in-law dies, and her father-in-law dies. So I don't know what's going on. I don't know if something's in the water or disease going around or what, but three of the men, or they might have been a war. That was a really common thing. doesn't tell us why they died, but all three of the men die in a close proximity of time together, and in that culture, when a man dies, his family is instantly thrust into poverty. Because culturally back then, men were the ones that did all the provision and, and did all the work. And so these women would often have really horrible lifestyles unless they could luckily find another man in their, in their life. And so we get the idea in this story today, too, that Ruth has several characteristics about her. First of all, we get the idea that she's pretty attractive. We get the idea that she's very hardworking. And we get the idea that she's very loyal. So she has three you know, good things going for her. And Ruth gets to decide what to do. Because if she chooses to stay with her mother-in-law, see, her mother-in-law is from Israel. So she's, they're living in Moab at the time, or Jordan today, living in Moab, and they're 
her mother-in-law is about to go back to Israel to her homeland. Okay, she wants to get close to her relatives because she knows kind of her life's ruined. Her husband's dead and she's going to be destitute. And so she's trying to tell her two daughter-in-laws, go find a husband. Stay here. You're going to have a better chance here. If you come to me, with me to my country, you're going to be a foreign woman. You're going to be looked down upon. Don't come with me. Your chances are better here. And so Ruth has to decide, well, I can go be with my mother-in-law and support her, but know that most likely, in reality, I'm going to be broke and destitute if I go with her, or I can stay here in Moab and most likely, probably pretty quickly, due to the characteristics of Ruth, she'll get a husband in Moab. So we're going to pick up the story and read it. It's in Ruth in your Bible, if you want to flip there. It's in the Old Testament. Might be me there. All right, I'm blanking out. Where's Ruth? Goodness gracious, 179 in my Bible. That's what happens when you don't mark it ahead of time. All right, so Ruth chapter 1. Everybody there? Right after Judges, right before 1 Samuel. Ruth chapter 1. We're going to pick up in uh, verse 11. Okay, so I kind of gave you the background to it. Chapter 1, verse 11. Here's where Naomi tries to convince Ruth to stay. All right, so Naomi is the mother-in-law. Ruth is the daughter-in-law. Naomi's from Israel. Ruth is from Moab. It says, but Naomi said, return home, my daughter. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons that, you could, become, that could become your husband's? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought that there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight, and then they gave birth to sons, would you wait for them to grow up? Would you remain unmarried for me? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because of the Lord's hand has turned against me. Now, I know this sounds really weird, but basically she's trying to tell her, listen, I have nothing to offer you. Okay, it's not really about the sons. She says, he's like, I have nothing to offer you. Nothing. It's going to be terrible if you come with me. She's trying to convince them, because she, she loves them. She wants them to, to be successful. Right, verse 14, she picks up. At this they wept aloud again. Then Ophrah kissed her mother-in-law and goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and I. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. All right, so Ruth pledges to her. She's like, listen, I'm going to be with you to the bitter end. I want to be with you. Right? And again, just a reminder, again, their culture, they needed a guy to provide. It wasn't that women didn't work, but Typically, they never worked outside of a family business. They would work at home or in a family business, but would not work outside of that. So Ruth really skips the easy road to go back with her own people 
out of her pure devotion to Naomi. She commits to her, right? She's like, we are in this together no matter what. You know, everybody in life needs some people that are committed to them no matter what. I hope you will find friends and family members and Christian brothers and sisters that are committed to you no matter what. That'll be by you even when life becomes chaotic and painful and horrible things happen like medical emergencies or death of a family member or someone makes a really, really bad choice. Ruth has that kind of devotion to Naomi. Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, we pick up the story again. It says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of, I don't know how to say this, Emelik, who was whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go into the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. In other words, she's like, hey, let me go out into the fields and I'll go from field to field to field until somebody just simply has pity on me to pick up a little bit of extra stock. The harvesters would go and they'd harvest up all the grain. They'd try to collect everything. But you know, when you're, if you've ever been out in a field, there's going to be some strands here and there that get dropped. So what she's doing is she's going around and picking up these strands every five feet or so and she's trying to put them together to gather some grain. Okay, And there would be other poor people that would come behind and do the same thing behind the harvesters, stuff that's basically left over that they missed. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Emelik. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of the harvesters, Who does this young woman belong to? The overseer replied, She is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the, sh the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Okay? So again, Ruth is a foreigner. Everyone, typically at least, would culturally look down upon her, especially in those time periods. And she's working from morning until evening, all right? She's pulling farmers' hours. Anybody know in harvest hours typically what a farmer works during harvest season? Yep, heard somebody else say it. Yes, dawn to dusk, right? Typically a 16-hour day, essentially. Right? I had a friend who worked for, uh, you guys know Wheat, Montana? Right? She worked for Wheat, Montana. So they would get in those combine harvesters. When it's harvest time, they get in those combine harvesters for 16 hours. They pack their meals and everything. They do not get out of the vehicle. Because when it's harvest time and you're a farmer, you crank out the harvest. That's how farmers work, right? If, if, if the weather's good and the sun is up, you're working. So historically, again, the same thing. They would pull basically a 16-hour. She's working 16-hour days. Anybody thinking eight-hour days long? Two of those in one day, right? That's farmer's hours during harvest time. So Ruth is pulling this 16-hour day, and she's working there you know, while there is daylight. And Boaz is a godly owner, and he sees Ruth. He sees that, yes, she is attractive. She's a foreigner, and she's new. But he also sees that she's hardworking, that she's faithful, 
and she's a daughter-in-law to a distant relative. Back then, people would really try to take care of any kind of relatives, especially if there was any kind of connection whatsoever. They would feel a responsibility over them, right? I'm going to just kind of recap uh, verse, uh, chapter 2 of 8 to 12. Basically, Boaz approaches Ruth, and he tells her, glean in my fields, right? Pick grain in my fields. In other words, he says, I don't want you to go anywhere else. You will be safe here. So he promises her protection because, again, when a woman does not have a husband in those cultures, often really bad things would happen to them, quite frankly. They risk getting you know, raped or they risk being robbed or those kinds of things. So he says, hey, listen, you will be safe in my fields. He offers her protection and provision and safety in that regard. All right, chapter 2, verse 13. Pick up the story. She says, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. My Lord is a, not a worship title in those days. My Lord would be for a landowner or out of respect to somebody, okay? Just like if you ever studied like medieval history, they'd call somebody my Lord. It's just simply a title of a landowner, okay? So she says, my Lord, uh, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have reassured me and have spoken kindly to your servant." Though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. Right, so she is humbling herself here. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here. Have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and he had and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her glean among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stocks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and do not rebuke her. All right, then Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she, then she threshed the barley uh, she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town with her mother-in-law and she saw how much she had gleaned. Ruth also brought it out and gave her uh, what she had left over after she had eaten enough, right? So she gives her the, basically, leftovers of the meal as well as all the produce that she'd brought in. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth uh, told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. His, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. Okay, so here's what's going on. Verse 13. First of all, Ruth is really grateful and she's very humble. Verse 14, Boaz takes personal interest in her and he sort of does a casual public date with Ruth. That's what's going on. He literally invites her over, gives her the best of the grain, the best of the vinegar, everything. You know, he's the Lord. You can imagine like uh, if you're watching a medieval movie, right? You take the peasant poor girl and he brings her up to the royal table. That's what's going on, okay? So he's doing this in front of everybody, okay? Uh, it's a very great opportunity for, for Ruth, right? Bo is impressed with Ruth after their meal, and so he says, leave more food for her, not just the scraps. Like, actually drop quite a bit of produce for her, right? Make sure she's well rewarded for this crazy hard work that she's doing. He's obviously impressed. Most of the other poor people are not staying out there 16 hours to glean. They're probably just getting just enough for that short time period, and then they're giving up and heading back home because it's a lot of work, especially when you're picking up one strand here, one strand there. You can imagine doing that, right? 
All right, so Naomi realizes as soon as she sees this, she's like, this is not normal. Somebody is looking out for you and noticed you, right? Who noticed you? Who is the guy? Right? And then she tells him, of course, who, who it is. So again, there is a little bit of attraction going on in the story, but the core of it is that Ruth commits pure devotion to Naomi before she has any idea that the story is going to turn out good. Right? You know how amazing it is to have somebody believe in you before your story turns out good? When things are not going well? You know, it says Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That Christ believes in an amazing story for you before you ever choose or experience it or have something good happen in your story. Right? Ruth dedicated herself to Naomi even when things looked really bleak. Ruth left everything, in fact. Right? She humbled herself. She rolled up her sleeves to go serve Naomi. She didn't have to do that. She didn't have to work a 16-hour day. She didn't have to tell her mother, please let me go out. Please let me go out and try and gather some grain. Let, us, let me do something for us. Right? Naomi's ready to give up. Ruth is willing to go work for her mother-in-law. Right? She's willing to get dirty and work 16-hour days. That's a long time if you ever worked out in the sun in a hot climate. Right? Friends, what are you willing to do for Jesus? You're willing to take some risks for him? Ruth takes a risk for Naomi. For both of them, really. Do you show pure devotion to Jesus when things are going poorly? When the fire's on, when the stress is on, when things are not turning out, when you're putting in work and it's just not going the way you want it to? Are you faithful all the time? Ruth lived with eyes of faith, expecting that things would get better if she chose to stick with Naomi. Right? What do you believe will get better if you just simply remain faithful? Trusting in God. Eventually there will be a good reward. Jesus promises us a good reward. Let me pray for us and we're going to break into our small groups. Lord Jesus, your word says, Blessed are the pure in heart, the purely devoted to you, Lord. Jesus, often we show that devotion um, by standing up for what is right by living within the boundaries that you have asked us to live within. Often we show that pure heart, Lord, by being devoted to each other, by keeping our commitments, by doing the right thing when it's hard. And you promise that we will see the gifts of God and the fullness of God when we live a life of pure devotion, Lord. Jesus, I pray that you would stir up within our hearts a desire to serve you, a desire to take risks for you, Lord, a desire to stand out for you among a foreign people just like Ruth did. I'd be willing to do the hard work for 16 hours, that is from morning till night, from head off of the pillow till our head hits the pillow, Lord Jesus, that we would have devotion to you.
without lapse. Lord, create in us a pure heart and make us into a holy people. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.